Just a reminder, our podcast deals with crimes that are often violent and graphic in nature, so listener discretion is advised. So when in doubt, leave the kids out. Now, please let us take you back in time. Welcome, I'm Shannon, and I'm here with Melissa. That's me. Old time crime gals, and we're back with episode two. Thank you for joining us again this week, and we hope you enjoyed the first week about the Hillsville massacre at the courthouse. And today we're going to be learning about Belle Gunness, the Black Midwest Black Widow. So, Melissa, can you give us a little bit of a head start? Sure. So, let's go back to the 1900s to a farmland property in Indiana that had just been ravaged by fire. Several people were trapped as the farmhouse was being engulfed in flames. At the center of it all, a lonely widower named Belle, a woman whose greed knew no bounds as she went to great lengths to secure monetary gain. Anyone who came around her was automatically marked for danger, and they had no idea until it was too late. Now, here is her story. Let's travel to Norway in November of 1859, where we'll meet a young girl named Brynhild Paulsdatter Storseth, born to a large family. She was the youngest of eight children. Her family wasn't exactly financially stable, and they struggled quite often. One of her older sisters actually left and traveled to America in search of a better life. Uh, Perhaps this is when she decided that was something she would like to do for herself. So Brynhild became a ranch hand on a farm. She worked to save money so that she could afford the trip overseas, which I can imagine in the 1850s was probably a lot of money to be able to go across um, to America at that time. I think it took her about three years to save up enough to get over here. Wow. that's Yeah, and a lot of people still try to get over here to this day. Mm-hmm. And as she was six feet tall, weighed over 200 pounds. So there weren't many tasks she couldn't do on that farm when she was working to raise the money to be able to come to America for what she thought would be a better life. Um, While she was living in Norway at 18 years old, she attended a barn dance, something fun to do at 18. I know I used to like to dance when I was around 18 years old. How about you, Melissa? I did. I danced a lot. Can't do it now, but. I liked it when I could. (laughs) Yes, me too. And I I still try sometimes. My kids laugh at me, but, you know, you got to continue to have fun. So I imagine she was having a good time at this dance and probably caught the attention of a wealthy young man in the crowd. It was not exactly specified, um, but there was a man in attendance who, I don't know if they got into some type of argument or disagreement or what happened exactly, but he actually kicked her in the stomach. Must have been some break dance. I don't know. Might have been. <laughs> um, that's true. Could have been. Who knows what they were doing back in the 1850s, dancing around corn or who knows, in the barn. She was keeping a secret at the time, Melissa. Um, she actually was pregnant. Oh, no. Yeah. So she was pregnant and the force of the kick actually resulted in a miscarriage. So I'm mm-hmm. sure that was very hard for her to have to experience at such a young age and those who knew her said that there was a big difference in her behavior after that happened to her uh, losing a baby so I, 
I imagine that probably altered her life and could account for what we're going to get into in the rest of the story. From then on, nothing but tragedy seemed to follow her around. The gentleman who had actually kicked her in the stomach was well-connected, and so nothing was done to him by the authorities. Oh, that's, a, that's a usual story sometimes. Mm-hmm. So never, nothing ever happened to him, but then a few months later, he passed away after having some stomach issues. Oh. Shortly after was when Bryn Hill decided to leave Norway, and she made her way to the United States in search of wealth and love. Oh. So let's see where we're going to go from here. All right. So, Bryn Hild came to America, settled in Chicago. She actually changed her name to Belle. Much easier to pronounce. Yes, I would say so. There, she met a man by the name of Mads Sorensen. What's with these names? Who was also Scandinavian. It sounds kind of like a mob boss. <laughs> Mads. Yeah. What's up, Mads? They had a lot in common, and they were actually married in 1884, on the outside of things, their family looked great. Um, they were looking great for them. Together, they had four children, Axel, Caroline, Myrtle, and Lucy. Some interesting American yes. names. They even adopted a foster child by the name of Jenny Olson. Yeah. Life was hard, but sweet. Literally, the Sorensons owned and operated a candy shop. Oh, how cool. <laughs> yeah. So everything was looking sweet and wrapped up nice and neat. Um, eventually, though, tragedy struck. The Sorensen house and the candy shop were damaged in a fire. They were both insured, and the payout was enough where they were able to buy a nice home and get a fresh start. But this was the uh, was only the beginning of the tragedies to strike their life. Uh, and I think I also read where the candy shop, once things were known, that it was struggling a little bit, I guess. Well, how convenient that, you know, things were a little tough and all of a sudden it just gets... Burns down. Yeah, bur yeah. burned down. She likes fire. We're going to find out. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sounds like things are going to heat up then. <laughs> Um, so they got that insurance payout and they were able to buy that nice house, get a new start. And then Axel and Caroline, the two youngest children, passed away before they were two years old, um, which is sad. They died from acute colitis. Symptoms include nausea, diarrhea, abdominal pain, and fever. Ironically, they're also the same symptoms that present themselves when a person has been poisoned Ooh. with strychnine. So, um, that's th not suspicious at all. No, not at all. That they both died from those symptoms. This theory wouldn't be examined until much later. Um, and since there was no reason to suspect any kind of foul play, both of the children were insured. And guess what? Policies were paid out. So, it sounds mm -hmm. like money is something that happens to them a lot. They kind of things get tough, something happens, and they cash get, out. Mm hmm. So then Mads, he suffered from an enlarged heart and often saw a family physician. He passed away on July 30th, 1900. So let's, um, we'll get into that. So he passed away on July 30th, right? Yes. Now that, there's something significant about that day that I read. It is. That's the day that he actually had two policies and they overlapped each other that one day out of the year. So for 24 hours, he was covered by 
to insurance policies. Mm -hmm. So Mads' family had, they were large and they evidently had a lot of money. And so they wanted to make sure that things were taken care of if something were to happen to him. So he was actually covered by two policies on July 30th for well, 24 how did, hours. How did he die? Did, did he die of acute colitis too? Okay. So you would think Bell was just lucky, but let's listen to what happened to him. Bell claimed that when he died, he had a headache and she had given him some powdered medicine and she went to check on him later and found him dead. Um, there were two autopsies. The first concluded that he had been poisoned. And then the second was carried out by his own doctor who had treated him in the past for heart disease. And so he determined it was a heart attack. But, you know, despite the ironic way that her two younger children had passed, given <clears throat> Mads's heart was already having problems, the cause of death was overruled. And it was deemed a heart, a heart attack. attack. But the powdered medicine, you know, obviously is. I mean, it could lead one <laughs> to believe that the way her two children died with colitis and all the symptoms, the same thing as poisoning, um, makes you wonder because he would die and they would even have an idea that it could be poisoning. And he happens to die on that one day when both of those policies overlap. So how much were both those policies? Uh, so both of those policies were, back then, the maximum payout was over $5,000. And she actually cashed them out the day after his funeral. Now, that that's a red flag. I don't know if, I mean, and especially coming from a funeral and like, oh, I want my money. Right. And especially when... They had thought maybe he could have died from something else other than a heart attack. But in today's um, money, that would be about $134,000. So it was a lot of money back then. Um, yeah. Wow. I imagine that she, there was much suspicion on her at that point from surrounding townsfolk. And she was scrutinized for stuff that she did. And she probably felt like she couldn't do anything. And, and if she was committing all these poisons and getting rid of all these people to collect money, she was probably running out of things to do. Well, in Mad's family, they had, they were suspicious. So I would say they were probably mad. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's funny. <laughs> Mad's family was mad. I had to work off that name. <laughs> so I imagine that this, for her, it's, it's time to do over. Yes, I would think so. She's going to have to come up with some more money somewhere. <laughs> and her modus operandi is men and money. Well, so now that she's got this max payout from um, from Mad. Okay. And she's getting ready to make her next move for a fresh start. Mm -hmm. What's her next, her next plan? So she um, was actually being scrutinized by a lot of people. So that's when she decided to start with someone new. And she met a fellow widower named Pete Gunnis. She moved from Chicago to LaPorte, Indiana, and they, with the money that she got from that insurance payout, uh, she bought a large farm um, property. Then the couple were married on April 1st, 1902. April Fool's Day. Oh, it, yeah. it probably wasn't a thing back then, but poor poor Peter. Yes, he, uh, <laughs> he definitely, I think, I would have had to find out her history for sure before I stepped into that. So Peter and his two daughters moved in with her on her farm. Just one week after the ceremony, Peter's youngest daughter was only seven months old, died from uncertain circumstances, and she happened to be in Belle's care. So she was alone with Belle, the, the stepmother. Um, 
this gave mm. Peter an uneasy feeling. And so he sent his oldest daughter uh, to live with uh, his, her uncle in Wisconsin. And his oldest daughter's name was Swan Hild. Um, I could be pronouncing that wrong. So this was a smart move as, okay, spoiler alert. She was the only child to ever survive living with Belle. So she didn't kill everybody. No. Somebody got out. Got out. That's Swan right. healed. Swan Go. healed. Yep. Move away. Strong name for a survivor. So Melissa, are you starting to see a pattern forming? Yeah. Anyone who spends any significant amount of time with this lady just disappears. Yes. It's not good. No, not at all. I would definitely not want to have to stay with her. Um, all right. So Almost everyone who spends time with her, we're seeing the pattern they meet at their demise. Peter Gunnis was no different in December of 1902. Okay, so that's not even quite six to seven months later. There was a tragic kitchen accident. And of course, Bell's story is that um, he was reaching for something in the kitchen and lost his balance. And as a result, part of a meat grinding machine fell off a shelf and struck him in the head. Uh, yeah, that, that doesn't sound legit. Well, considering that he was a butcher, so you would think he spent a lot of time in the kitchen and and right. was well experienced. And that's exactly that right. So the locals were they thought something was you know kind of fishy about that and just didn't sit right with them. He also ran a successful hog farm. Um, so immediately when the coroner had a chance to you know review his body, he announced it was murder. Uh, he could almost see a distinct impression of an, a hammer on Peter's skull. So he announced it murder. So it looks like Bell might get caught for something. He might be in trouble. We don't know. But she also, Jenny Olsen was the adopted daughter. Okay. So at this time, she's 14. So she's lived through this house, watched these people come in, come out, and she's about to drop a bombshell of a secret. Okay. So now let's put our attention on Jenny, Jenny Olson. So all this stuff is going on in the house and she's 14. Can you imagine being that young, having gone through everything that she's had to put up with in her life so far? No, I can't. I mean, she's lost two siblings. She loses her dad. Her mom meets, you know, man number two and right. gets married and he moves in with two kids who she thinks, you know, my new, my new sisters. Mm -hmm. And then a week later, the baby dies. Right. And then he sends the other one away. True. And then he dies. So she has lost almost everyone in her household. I would think she's scared and angry. And that, I mean, there's stuff that's building up. She's probably afraid of her mom and she's worried about stuff all the time. And 14, you, you just want to tell somebody. Well, and you got to think about the mom is six foot and 200 pounds. So you think, I don't really want to mess with her. But, um, you know, unfortunately, she's just, everything's built up and she's in school and someone hears her tell a friend and she says, quote, my mama killed my papa. She hit him with a meat cleaver and he died. Don't tell a soul. Wow. Can you imagine? But someone heard. So now there's an, you know, Belle might actually get in trouble. For Sounds all the like stuff it. that she's been, you know, having to deal with. 
So then you go to the coroner. So we have Peter, who obviously he thinks has been murdered. Right. So he brings in a, um, a coroner's jury to, to review the findings of his autopsy. And Jenny's actually brought before them. And they were like, hey, we heard this is what you said. She immediately denies it. Nope, never said that. I don't know where that came from. And then you've got Belle, who crocodile tears and such emotion and charm and tells her side of the story. And they somehow believe her that she had nothing to do with this man's death. And so they rule it an accident. They probably just looked at the teenager and thought, well, she's just making up stories and it's no big deal. Although I would think the coroner thinking that there was an indention that looked like a hammer, that kind of matches her story of the meat cleaver. Well, you would think, but it also means that she gets another insurance policy. That's true. That's true. (laughs) So this time, Peter, she got $3,000, which is about $80,000. Wow. So she's just taking these people out and just cashing out and living on her hog farm and just no consequences. But she also had another secret. Another secret? She was pregnant again. Oh, my goodness. I mean, that could have been why she got rid of Peter. I don't know. Because <laughs> <laughs> in 1903, she had a baby boy and named him Philip. Oh, wow. Poor baby. I, I know. Having All babies these children, and husbands. It's All just, these children. They equal money to her. So, you know, she continues this cycle. She operates her hog farm on her own. You know, she's able to do most of the chores. She worked at it when she was young. So right. she knows what's going on. She handles everything. And then by 1906, you know, Jenny's still around. And I imagine she was very fearful because she almost got caught saying, my mom killed my dad. Right. So Belle tells the neighbors that, oh, you know, she's of age now. She just went to college in Los Angeles. She's off to school. So they must have been asking about her. Maybe they didn't see her around, you think? Yeah, well, you know, another spoiler alert, you know, they find her. She didn't leave home. Um, She's still on the hog farm, but, you know. Mm. Very sad. Yeah. And so I guess 1907 comes around you know, baby boy Philip is is young and she's needs some help around. So she hires a man by the name of Ray Lampfear um, to handle some things around the hog farm. Okay. But I imagine since she was so well at doing things on her own, she just wanted, she must have been run out of money. And yeah. she was trying to find a way to figure out how she can make more without having to run her farm at the same time. Doesn't it make you wonder, though, she's having to carry on this facade because now people are kind of on to her. So she's having to be able to take care of the kids. People are probably watching a little bit more. Oh, it, travelers that would ride by her house would see her out at night digging in the hog pen. Oh, wow. And just craziness. So she, so she was trying to hide. I bet she was just crazy 24-7. Definitely. So when I think about her... You know, she's able to woo these men for some reason. She must have something about her that just pulls them in and they just get soaked into her world and she's able to have some control over them. And she's not a very attractive lady when you think about. But she looks so, and I'm being so sarcastic. She looks so happy in this picture with her and her three children. I just don't understand. She must be very charming. She must have very eloquent speech. Her words just must speak volumes because we'll have the picture up on our Facebook page. She just does not look like a person that people would be just flocking to and like, here, take my money, marry me. Unless it's because she has a farm and she's able to do a lot of the chores herself and they just think she's got a lot of money or something. Well, (laughs) she... 
this is the interesting part. I mean, she's already interesting because her life now has been crazy roller coaster of things happening, you know, fires and deaths and insurance money. And she's just got all this stuff. But I guess she had come accustomed to getting money and mm -hmm. living her life. And then it runs out and it's time to get more money. So she hired Ray. He's taking care of the hog farm. She decides to take out personal ads in the local oh, wow. papers of all the Midwestern big cities. Okay. And so like a lonely hearts and her ad, I love her ad. It's, it's so funny to me. So this is what she sends out in the personal columns. So this is quote, Comely widow who owns a large farm in one of the finest districts in LaPorte County, Indiana, desires to make the acquaintance of a gentleman equally well provided with view of joining fortunes. No replies by letter considered unless sender is willing to follow answer with personal visit. Triflers need not apply. <laughs> <laughs> She's not playing. She's like, don't come, don't contact me unless you're going to come to me and you need to have money. So she is sitting back on her hog farm writing and waiting for people to come to her and there has got to be some lonely people out there to answer to her several so now she's racked up her experience she's you know really getting into the mindset of this serial killer she you knows she's got her ad in the papers she's running her farm so now victims are going to flock to her and so now she's got to figure out a way of what she's going to do once they get there right so What's going to help her get rid of all this stuff? I would think probably living on a hog farm would be a good. So I hear pigs eat anything, you know. Uh, well, definitely not picky. <laughs> <laughs> so so we got all this, this. People start coming in. So you have number one. His name is John Moe. So he comes all the way from Minnesota. So he brings with him $1,000 cash to pay off her mortgage. So they were corresponding back and forth and she wow. had mentioned she needed a thousand, you know, to pay off this mortgage. And so he disappears the same week he gets there. The same week? The same week, gone. Wow. So then you have George Anderson who comes from Missouri. So she, she has dinner with them and she brings up the mortgage again about how she has to pay this mortgage. And he says, I'll pay off your mortgage, but we got to get married first. Ah. And so Anderson, he stays overnight at the farm. They have their dinner. He wakes up in the middle of the night and Belle is holding a candle, staring over him. Creepy. And when she realized he woke up and saw her, she just runs out the room. Oh, wow. So he runs out of the house. Smart man. And he runs to the train station, hops on a train and goes back to Missouri. So he is the only person who has arrived at the farm who gets to leave. Okay. So he was smart. And that's when healed. Swan healed. Well, the only, he's the only man. Uh, the only man. Okay. It's, except for Ray, but we'll get to that. Okay. So he's the only suitor who has answered her ad that ah, gets to walk away. Okay. So he just. He was fortunate yeah. to wake up in the middle of the night. So this cycle goes on and on for quite some time. So by now she keeps her shutters closed during the day. You know, they're starting to pick up suspicions that she's always digging in, in the field. Um, there's this. Trunks she gets delivered to her house, these huge trunks. And the driver actually would, he remembered that she would just pick them up and put them on her shoulder like they were boxes of marshmallows because she's just so strong mm -hmm. and just goes on she about her way. Um, so that's crazy. His name was Clyde Sturgis and he picked them up like they were boxes of marshmallows. 
So now we have Old B. Budsberg. Don't you just love these Ooh, names? Yes. So he appears next after Anderson had run away. So he was last seen at Laporte Savings Bank on April 6, 1907. So he signed over a deed to his property and obtained several thousand dollars. And he didn't even tell his sons where he was going. He just left. Wow. So eventually they discovered through letters that that's where he was headed. So they wrote to her, you know, hey, you know, have you seen him? So she just responds that she'd never seen him before. Okay. So that's another one that just disappears. So the cycle keeps continuing. So it seems like things are a well-oiled machine. But then you have Andrew Hilgleen. And I'm sure we're saying that wrong, but that's okay. So he comes in December of 1907. They write back and forth and she must have been good at, you know, pen piling. And this is when she just writes this passionate letter that overwhelms him. And he immediately takes out everything in his savings, which was around 3000, which is wow. probably equivalent of a life insurance policy. Yes. And he just goes to her. He just visits her. Wow. She must have really had a way with words. And so they go to the bank together and deposit a check together. Okay. Yep. So she, he was seen at the bank with her. And then um, she goes back on her own and makes a $500 deposit and a $700 deposit. Okay. But apparently they were supposed to get married. She was, she agreed that, you know, she was, he was going to be husband number three. So now it starts to break down this well-oiled machine they got going on because Ray is her farmhand. Right. But he spends a lot of time on the farm doing all the chores that she wants them to do. And he has come to fall in love with her. So he wants some attention. From so he's really jealous of this new guy that has come about. This this Andrew. He does not like him. So he makes a scene okay. and Belle decides to fire him. Okay. So she gets rid of him. So she fires him on February 3rd, 1908. So, you know, he came in um, December. So he's been there for a couple of months. So he's he must have something good going on and wealthy because she ain't killed him yet. Right. So she's... She's still working on there's that, a reason that relationship. To keep him. <laughs> so, but you know, there's no telling what Ray had actually helped her with or what he knew that was going on. And so she immediately starts to lay out a narrative and kind of cover herself in case something were to happen. Okay. Wow. This is very tiring. She must have been in great shape, you know, to be able to carry this out, to keep up the facade of hiding everything. It just makes me tired reading about it i can't imagine having to do it all well and now she's got ray that she fired that is probably I, mad yeah. at her and she's wondering what he's gonna do because we don't know what he knows right That's and true. so she she immediately goes to the local authorities and she tells them that her former employee is not in his right mind that he's crazy and that he threatened in public that he's gonna you know kill her oh, and, wow. and that you know they need to take care of that so they actually do an um assessment they call it a sanity hearing, so oh, I guess, wow. to see if he's crazy or not. Okay. And um, they determine that he's fine, and he gets released. So a few days later, she comes back, and she says that, you know, he keeps coming to the farm. He keeps arguing with me. Um, she has him arrested for trespassing. And then um, he keeps going out there. She keeps driving him off. So we don't know if they ever were in a relationship, if if anything had happened between them, but it's just a constant. He's coming. He wants to see her. She doesn't want to see him. Back and forth. You know what surprises me is that she doesn't figure out a way to take care of him. It may be in her mind he doesn't have anything and that it's not even worth the trouble because okay. she's got all these other people that are coming that are worth something. Okay. Or maybe she really did like him and there was something between the two and then he just got really jealous of this last one. So it's a very 
interesting relationship dynamic that we just don't know anything about. Yeah. Unfortunately. And so Andrew's brother wrote to her because he's like, Hey, we knew my brother went out that way and he had answered your ad and he hasn't come home yet. And we're just wondering what's going on. Cause it's been a while. And she responds, well, he probably went to Norway and visit his family because he also was Norwegian. So that uh, could have been what kept him around as long because her first, her husbands were Norwegian. So gotcha. that's, that just may be her, her thing. But, um, you know, she responded that he probably visited family. He went to Norway. Well, they wrote back and said, no, I don't think that's like him. I think he's on your farm. And then again, she trips me out because she replies that they're more than welcome to come to her farm and look for him. But and she'll even help. But they have to pay her for her services for wow. looking for him. She's not only an <laughs> entrepreneur, but she is a murderpreneur. <laughs> make a book but, off anything i mean they know they're not going to find them there come and look on my property he's yeah. right here and then pay me for helping oh, you look around she's something. just give me the money she's all about the money yes so now she goes to a lawyer she goes to m.e lee litter and she tells him that she is fearful of her life and she needs to make a will she says that ray has threatened to kill her and burn down her farm and so she writes a will out and she leaves her farm and everything she has to her children because she loves them so much mm. and, and never reports his threats to the police, but she puts it out there in that small town. Like, this is why I'm doing this. I'm afraid this might happen okay. as a, as a bug in, in the air. And so of course she fired Ray. She's got all this stuff going on. These men are coming and going. She's got to get rid of them. So she needs help again. Yes. So she hires a man named Joe Maxson and he takes over for Ray. So she, um, he's there. I'm not sure if he was doing exactly as much as Ray was doing as far as helping her in her little scheme, but he's there just trying to take care of the hog farm. So on April 28th, 1908, he wakes up to the smell of smoke. Oh, wow. And his bedroom is on the second floor. So this okay. was a big farmhouse and he tries to open his door and he just sees a wall of flames. Wow. And he calls out her name and her kids' names and he doesn't get an answer. So he has to shut his door before the fire comes into his room. And then he decides to jump out his window. So second floor, jumps mm -hmm. out his window, and he's in just his underwear. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Poor thing. So he runs into the town and tries to get help. Okay. And by the time the people came. I bet it to, was burned it's down. Go, it was gone. It was, there was nothing. Um, so the sheriff there had remembered hearing that Ray had threatened to burn the house okay. down. So now he put it out that we need to find Ray. So he sent deputies to dig through the fire, find out what, you know, what's here. And then sent someone else to go after Ray. So Ray actually gets arrested okay. and he gets charged with arson and murder because unfortunately there were children oh, and man. there was a decapitated um, body of a woman. Okay. So do we think that was bail? Not a hundred percent sure. Okay. Cause there's some other stuff that happens that goes on once they find out and they start digging through that's going to, I mean, we just, we just don't know. Okay. But, um, so Ray, he was questioned and he obviously, no, I didn't have anything to do with it at all, but there was a boy who was like, no, I saw you leaving the farm that night. You oh, were walking wow. down this path. So it did not look good for him. So even though he, he, you know, remained, his story stayed the same, that he was innocent and had nothing to do with it. It just didn't look good. So eventually he, um, was put on trial for that. Oh, so now it's an active um, investigation. And you remember Andrew's brother who wrote to her saying, I think he's on your farm. You know, 
come search. Mm-hmm. He goes to go search. Okay. And he sees that it's, you know, a fire and he's asking people, the policemen to dig in the spot where it's just a bunch of garbage in the hog pen. He's like, Hey, you know, what's around here? And they were finding watches and teeth and, and wow. all sorts of stuff. And he actually uncovered his own brother's body. Oh, wow. So, I mean, it's just, they have just craziness going on and they decide that they need to excavate and, I mean, they turned up so close to 40 estimate of just bodies. And um, Ray was actually in possession of of people's, you know, trench coats and and watches and all the possessions. So he was in on it, you know, somewhat too. And she had inherited, I use that in quotes, because some (laughs) of those people had horses and buggies. So she had, her farm had grown and, and just, it's just a sad tragedy because the children, you have Lucy you have Myrtle, and you have the new one, Philip. Those okay. were the three children that were were found in the fire, and then you have this headless skeleton, this woman, and of course, everyone presumed it was Belle, right? Um, but Belle was also six foot tall and a very yes. big woman, and the bones of this lady were only five foot three. Okay, and well. her her skull was missing, so she had been decapitated, and back then you can't do dental. Can't do dental records. Right. But there was a bridge on the floor of the fire. Okay. And the dentist did recognize that as work that was done on Bell. Hmm. But again, the plastic and stuff on the bridge work wasn't as melted as if it had been through a fire okay. and left and then the skull was just gone. Okay. So it kind of, to me, it doesn't add up. I don't think it was her. Right. Um, And all the money that she had collected over time, it ended up being into the millions in today's money and it was all withdrawn from her bank accounts and she just I, I think she just split. Well didn't she faked her death and she moved on. Didn't Ray did he say that he thought Well he he ended up dying of tuberculosis. Okay. And he had some deathbed confessions. Um, so and then it came out how these people would come to the farm she would either poison them at dinner or clunk them over the head in the middle of the night, like poor Anderson almost caught, you know, her doing. And then she would, you know, she married that butcher. So she ran a hog farm. She would butcher them off and wrap them up and then dig them in the yard and throw them in those trunks and then let the pigs take care of the rest. So, mm. and um, there's an active investigation going on. So the new farmhand, mm-hmm. And he's like, hey, I got something, by the way. I just, she told me to dump a bunch of dirt over here in this section and, you know, fill in where oh, wow. where the ground was. You might want to start there. And that's when they found um, Jenny Olson, who she went to college and, yeah. and everyone else. So her body count is, victim count is definitely into the 40s, maybe more that wow. we just don't know about. And that's all sad. in the name of just to get money. Yeah. Just to buy whatever and live on her farms. Greed. She's, um, she's definitely a, a, Serial killer that's worth mentioning. She has an interesting story. She's one of the first serial killers in uh, early America. Okay. And female, because normally we hear about the Ted Bunnies and, all, uh, you know, right. they're all male, uh, Jack the Rippers and stuff. And most of the time with women, you find that it's poisoning. Poison. She did a little bit. They don't like to get messy typically when you're looking at serial killers because poison is a um, weapon of choice, <laughs> it seems, for women. So watch out, man. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but um, she she didn't mind getting messy. Yeah. So she grew. She that's what she worked at, and she yes. grew up, and she was well capable, and she had a hog farm at her disposal, and that's just what she chose to do. <laughs> so that's the story of Belle Gunness. 
the Midwestern Black Widow. This one was really fun to talk about. I enjoyed myself, and I hope you guys loved hearing about Bill. And if you're interested, um, some of our sources for this episode were squaremileofmurder.com, legendsofamerica.com, murderpedia.org, and Wikipedia. Don't forget to check us out on Spotify, Anchor, Google, Apple, wherever you get your podcast. And again, we just want to say thanks for listening. And remember to catch us next week for a brand new episode. Check us out on Facebook. And um, remember, do a crime and it'll catch up with you in time. And we'll talk about it.